Okay, if you've got a Bible, turn to uh, Matthew 5, verse 38 to 48. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 38 to 48. If you need a Bible, put your hand up. Um, but I think they've been given out already. But we're in Matthew chapter 5 as we continue um, our walk and studies through the Sermon on the Mount. This, uh, some people say it's the real, the greatest teaching that ever was, uh, that this is Jesus really setting out his store about how we should live as Christians. And um, uh, today's sermon is, is called Loving Back Rather Than Hitting Back, which is sometimes a bit countercultural, but Jesus talk, talks to us about being countercultural and we're called to be different. Uh, we can look at the church and we're called to be distinct and different from the society in which we live in many ways. So I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 5, uh, from 38 uh, down to um, 48. And let's bear in mind about uh, what we've been talking about, our Christian character and also what it means to be effective as a Christian. And uh, I hope today uh, we can grasp that uh, once again uh, as uh, Jesus himself speaks to us through God's word. So verse 38. Words of Jesus, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants, you to, sue, wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbours and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get on even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's tough teaching. I was brought up uh, as a youngster and growing up that if somebody hit me, um, hit them back harder. Um, and then as I grew older, um, I learned not to wait. That if I thought they were going to hit me, I would hit them first. But it isn't the Jesus way. When I became a Christian, I recognised that that is not the way of Christ. It's not the Jesus lifestyle. That's not being sought. And that's what the world does. Uh, desperate for retaliation. And we have wars, and the Bible talks that we're going to have wars and rumours of wars, and we're very aware of that. But Christians called to be different as we look at our characters, we look at being effective. These words, I don't know about you, are a real challenge to me. I mean, if someone attacks my family, what do I do? I've got to look at these words and say, well, what would Jesus have me do? And I wrestle with that. If someone comes after my family, my most natural instinct in the world is to stand in the way. So what do these words mean to us? Well, I'm going to whiz through and we're going to spend some time, and I've got some, hopefully, some illustrations that are really challenging. They, they were for me, and I hope they are for you. But let's just go through this uh, first of all. We've got, um, uh, where are we? I've lost it myself. Here we are. Verse 38, you've, said, uh, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Now here, Jesus is quoting Exodus 21, verse 24. Now, when that was given, that was used to limit um, the amount of retaliation someone gave. It was to be prohibitive rather than permissive. Now, what I mean by that, you can walk into a pub, and push someone accidentally, they can turn around and say, I'm going to kill you. you know, if you do that again, I will knock you out. Or if you're walking, you know, because we're where we are, if you're walking in Waitrose and someone bumps into your trolley, you know, it can, be, it can turn vicious uh, very easily <laughs> and quickly. 
But the idea of the law given that Jesus is answering is that rather than say, you've bumped into my trolley, I'm going to run you over in the car park, which was a much bigger overreaction, it was actually given in that law in Exodus. It was to limit the retaliation. It was to say, well, look, if someone's bumped your trolley, just bump theirs back. You don't have to kill them. Um, but we hear the language in society. I hear it. I, if you listen out for it, uh, people go so far over the top. You nudge someone in the car, they want to get out and beat you up. It's just a car. You know, you get, it's all around us, and Christians uh, were called to be different. The context was to the judges of Israel. It was a guide for the judges at the time in sentencing. The scribes and the Pharisees uh, here, who Jesus is answering uh, or talking to, extended the principle from the law courts, which is where it was supposed to be. So the law court was about being fair and just. If you steal, steal £10 from me, let's, you know, whatever it's going to be, you've got to give the 10 back and I'll fine you 10 or whatever it's going to be. But it was for the law courts where it belongs, but they were trying to bring it into the area of personal relationships and making it very personal, where it doesn't belong. That passage wasn't meant for person, and I will make this, and they were using it to justify personal revenge. I will go after that person, and I will make them pay for what they've done for me. Does that sound like words or character of Jesus? It doesn't. And even though the law forbade it, uh, they used it to justify personal revenge. In Leviticus 19, it said, you not, shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people. But they were. They were. So it was, it was caused to limit things. So it was a law of judicial retribution, and it was being used as an excuse for the very thing it was meant to abolish. As ever, men and women got in the way of what God was intending, and they were using it for personal retribution. So Jesus isn't saying here that there are no consequences in life. You can hurt me, and no one has to pay. God will judge them and the state will judge them. What he's saying is it's not really up to me to take matters into my own hand when, when it goes wrong and you know, meet them down a dark alley and sort them out. He's against the personal vengeance. And he's given us four mini, mini illustrations in verses 39 to 42. And it highlights, doesn't it, this Christian principle of non-retaliation and how far we should go with that. So, verse 39 uh, lost it again, here it is. Uh, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Being struck, struck on the right cheek then, and is now in, uh, in the east, is the most insulting blow you can give somebody. And so when he says turn the other also, um, it, was, it was this kind of, okay, well, I've got to put up with this a bit. Um, life is challenging. Someone may insult me, I suppose, if we're, if we're thinking about our lives now. But okay, well, I'll turn the other cheek. But I'm not weak by doing that. I'm actually really, really strong. Equally, it suggests only twice, doesn't it? You know, turn the other cheek. Don't say, then turn it back again, and then turn it back again. And so maybe there's some lesson in there, but I'm reading probably more into that uh, uh, than, I, than I should be. But certainly, it's not retaliation straight away. It's not someone pushed me, therefore I'll punch them. It's not that retaliation. I remember a man on our Alpha course years ago who was a very, I think I've mentioned him before, He's not my only illustration, but I thought it would be good for today. But he was a very violent criminal. He'd been put in jail. He almost killed a man while he was in jail, his prison mate, and very, very, very strong. And one of those people that, if you looked at him, he exuded fear. I don't know if you've ever come across those people. I haven't come across them often, but when I do, I tend to cross the road. And, um, but he just exuded it, and he started to worship with us, and he would sweat in the service, and he was you know, really big. He was about six foot two, but all muscle and really strong. And he said to me, he said to me, and he said, I don't travel up to London anymore. 
uh, because there's people up there that I'll bump into. And um, in the past, that wasn't a problem. It was for them. It wasn't for me. But now I know I'm not going to retaliate because I'm a Christian and I'm, a, I'm alive in Christ. But if I meet them, I know it's, going to be, it's just going to be a nightmare and I'll be in hospital. And, and he had this amazing change of the Holy Spirit doing a work inside him. Uh, he'd seen the word, he'd heard the word, but it was the Spirit changing him inside. He refused to retaliate. And honestly, he, I've not met anybody that I think he wouldn't win a fight with, but he just took a choice and said, that's not the Christian way. I will not retaliate physically. It's not just physical, verbal insults as well. Verbal insults, we think it might not happen in cosy, sanitised Billericay or the surrounding areas, but I can tell you, uh, you go to Stockbrook Manor on any given day and they haven't got enough staff behind the bar to serve food, you will see people that look very much like us who are normally very respectable, swearing, getting angry at these poor girls that are getting paid pretty probably minimum wage behind the bar. And uh, they, you know, actually someone I knew was there actually challenged them. And really what they should be doing is going to see the owner, Mr Peachy. Uh, but uh, they don't because everyone's scared of him as well. Uh, so, um, but the poor girls taking the abuse. And these are people that are like us. You know, that would probably be very calm but they're in a position of power and not getting their way, and they're getting angry, and it's not right. It's certainly not right as a Christian. I was told when I was a broker that clients used to look at the brokers and say, we always see how they talk to waiters uh, and waitresses, because then we know what they're really like, and how they would speak to us if we couldn't give them anything. It's a good litmus test. So it's not just physical, it can be verbal, it can be insults. A friend of mine's an estate agent, you can imagine what he puts up with um, all week long. And it's these passages that Jesus is talking about, they're a high standard, but there are a standard that Jesus asked us to take. And it's one that he modelled himself. It's not about taking revenge. Can you imagine if we got our just desserts? We'd all be in hell. We don't get what we deserve. We've been given mercy. And we've been given love and reconciliation. Jesus models it. Don't take revenge. Paul effectively says the same in Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If we really did that as Christians, the world would be an evil place. If the Christians go about doing evil, then the world, the whole world would be evil. I, th- I really believe it won't be till Christ comes back and takes his church with him that the world will realise the big difference the church makes in society wasn't in my notes. That's a bit of a rant, that one. I don't know what happened there. Um, Maybe it must be God. Um, Verse 40, being sued, taking your tunic. Uh, So where are we there? Verse 40, uh, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What does he mean by that? Well, the the tunic in those days was the inner garment, and it wasn't worth a lot. It's like, I suppose if I don't, you know, if I wore vests, it'd be my vest. I might miss it a bit, but it wouldn't really be the end of the world. But the cloak, the outer garment, this, was worth much more. It was a real form of protection. So maybe uh, Jesus is talking about how we apply it to our lives. That was a a fact that went on then. But it was almost, is it challenging us to be sacrificial in the way we go along and walk alongside people and give? Verse 41, carrying a tunic, uh, at the time there was Roman occupation and a Roman soldier could force you to walk a mile with them, carrying their load. Jesus is saying, go the extra mile. If someone's asking a lot of you, you can outdo them in grace and love and mercy. Go the extra mile. It might mean you lose some time. And interestingly, I always read this passion, I think, I'm glad he's, he doesn't say, you know, go on forever. It's not indefinite. He's just saying, go an extra mile. It's kind of double, really, what you need to do. 
Or verse 42, give to the one who asks. You know, not turning away from the people who want to borrow. Maybe that's sacrificial in our giving. We've got some sermons coming up on that. But are we called to be sacrificial? Of course we are. Uh, we'll see people in the street, and it's easy to walk, walk by them. Sometimes not right to give them money, but we can give them other things. But sacrificial in our giving. In summary of this part, he seems to be saying, go the extra mile. Don't take the first offence. I remember at college, one of the best bits of advice uh, that was given to, to us in a lecture was choose not to take offence. Now, I still work on that, um, you know, especially on Monday mornings. Um, but it's, if you choose not to take offence, it really helps. Because people say things, I will say things that maybe I didn't mean or you know, I was in a bad mood and I'm not perfect um, uh, and you'll be the same. But if everyone chooses to take offence, we're angry at each other and, we, and things, tiny things build up out of all proportion. So Jesus is talking to us saying, well, don't take the first offence, turn the other cheek a bit. It doesn't mean that we're a mat to be walked over. There's a limited to, to the amount of taking it that we have to do and sometimes it is right to respond in a godly fashion. Spurgeon said uh, that the Christian is to be an anvil when bad men are hammers. So what's the most powerful? Is it the hammer or the anvil? You look at an anvil, you try lifting an anvil, you lift up a hammer, easy. You can walk around bashing everything, that's easy, that's the world. But the Christians are the anvil. We can take it because we're actually we're stronger than that. We're stronger than that. It doesn't mean to say we're doormats, we've really got strength. Uh, in being that part of society. It doesn't mean that we're not weaklings offering no resistance. It doesn't mean to say we're just, you know, anyone can do anything. Jesus himself challenged the high priest when he was questioned in court in John 18. So there are times, and we have to be, the church has to be prophetic, it has to speak out, has to tell the world what it believes in. The world mostly knows what we don't believe in. But let's tell them, we need to tell the world what we believe in. So we have a voice, we're not to be called to be silent, uh, but we are called... Uh, really, to have a way of life modelled on Christ himself. And this eye for an eye, if you really worked it out, if it was really an eye for eye, there'd only be one person left in the world, wouldn't there? If we took that for what it is, because you imagine, if I murder someone, uh, then they're gonna, someone else will murder me, and then someone else will murder them, and then it goes on and on and on, until you're left with one person. So it really was about the situation at that time where they were using that uh, in, a, in a detrimental way to the, the prevailing society. And Jesus was saying, look, you're abusing the law again, the Pharisees and the teachers, and you're using it for your own benefit. That's not what it's about. Uh, there's a, a Christian apologist who went to speak at a university in Malaysia. And when he was there, he met a member of the staff. And that member of the staff was a Christian. This is a true story. He was a Christian from a Chinese background. The man had been praying for years that the gospel would be preached in his university, which wasn't allowed. After the apologists had spoken, the man told him about something that had happened to him four years earlier when a famous anti-Christian lecturer had come to the university. In the auditorium of over 2,000 people, this man was the only Christian. The anti-Christian lecturer called him out as a staff member in front of all his students, 2,000 students. He's well-respected. And this guy calls him out and he says, you're a Christian, I want you to come up on stage. So he came forward and he stood on the stage. The lecturer then slapped him around the face really hard. And then he said, I'm waiting. What does your Jesus tell you to do? So our friend did what Jesus told him to do and he turned the other cheek. The lecturer slapped him across the head again. And he says to remember, this is an ashamed culture. This was the teacher of many of the students. They were totally shocked. 
The lecturer then went on to say, look at the weakness of Christians. Christianity is founded on weakness. And then he said, give me your coat. So the man took off his coat and he handed it over. He said, I'm waiting. He wanted all of his clothes. What does your tea Jesus tell you to do now? And standing before an audience of thousands, many of them, his students, this man said, I just want to say to all of you and my students, I don't want you to be embarrassed because of me. So you may want to close your eyes at this moment. Then he took off his clothes and he gave them to the man. He walked out, tears pouring down his face, humiliated. The next day, an amazing thing happened. One after another of his students came into his study and said how ashamed they were about what had happened. They asked him to tell them more about Jesus. And as a result, he received many letters and was able to talk freely about his faith with hundreds of students committing to Christ. Now you tell me he's weak. He's the anvil. And the the guy coming in was the hammer. But that strength that he's shown, I mean, I'm humbled by that illustration, which is a true story. But I'm humbled by it. He wasn't a weakling just saying, I'm not going to offer any resistance. He was resisting in not retaliating. And God's gospel uh, changed lives. It's all about meeting discord and attack with love rather than retaliation as a first resort, which then leads me on nicely into the second part of the the sermon. Loving our enemies. This is what uh, chapter 5, verse 43 to 48 is all about. Verse 43 and 44, he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbour, hate your enemy. Again, uh, the teaching, that was the general teaching at the time, although they'd ignored parts of the verse, because it was love your neighbour as yourself, hate your enemy, but also pray for him. But they weren't doing that, they just took the bits they wanted. And again, Jesus challenges them. He confronts the teaching of the Pharisees, leads his disciples then and us now to these kingdom values. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I mean, imagine if you're one of those disciples talking to Jesus at that time. This wasn't hypothetical teaching for them. They would have already been insulted, wrongly accused, mocked for their humility and apparent weakness. And Jesus, their teacher, says, yeah, pray for them. How often, if I'm insulted or, or I think I've been wronged, do I go, oh, you know, it's really wrong, I'm really frustrated and, you know, the thoughts come in and you have to, you've got that, what Paul talks about, your sinful nature, waging, sinful nature waging war against your godly nature and you have to say, no, that is not the Jesus way and it's an act of the will with the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, pray for my enemies, pray for them, love them. I mean, imagine, if you're sitting there and you, you, you really knew persecution, he says, pray for them. Eventually, they had really serious persecution. Many of them were flogged, tortured, or killed. And he still says, pray for them. And he, he says to them, love your enemies. And he models it on the cross, as any good leader does, he leads by example, because on the cross, he prayed for his killers. Father, forgive them. Paul gives us an illustration of overcoming rather than avenging evil in Romans 12.20. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Verse 44, or as in Luke's version, those who abuse you. Verse 45, God is all-knowing. The sun rises on both. The rain rises on both. So God sees it all. He sees the, the abuse. He sees the conflict. He sees the insults. He sees all of it. And Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. I just wonder, I've got no easy solution to this. We know there's going to be wars and the rumours of wars, like I said at the beginning. 
Uh, but I wonder if as much as we dropped drop bombs, we dropped food parcels, or as much as we sent bullets, we, we sent medical aid. There's no easy answer. But I just wonder what sort of message that might have sent uh, to people uh, that had uh, received it. I don't know. But certainly the words of God would suggest that's what we ought to be doing. Verse 46 and 47 talk about how it's easy to love those who love us. I find it easy to love my family. You know, I haven't got to force myself to do that. Good. But it's easy to love those who love you. And the challenge in these passages that Jesus tells us is to love those who are against us. It's easy for me to pray for my family and friends and for you. What, are, uh, what about the ones who have hurt me or have hurt you? Do we pray for them? It's a real release, I have to say. When I've held on to it, it calls, I'm the one up at night. But to be able to release that, and it might take some time, but God really blesses it, I believe. These are kingdom values. We pray for those who hurt us. Saul was the persecutor of Christians, wasn't he? If not a murderer, at best he was holding the coats of those that were. And people prayed for him. And he was converted. And he becomes Saint Paul. God can just turn the situation around. And verse 48 talks about uh, imitating uh, Christ himself. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We know we're not perfect, but we are made right in, in, in Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness. We're just saying that. But we are called to imitate God. We're not called to imitate men or women. We're God-pleasers. And sometimes when we look at these passages, that means it's a hard decision. But then we've got to remember Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. And that's as much us as anybody else, because our sin put him on the cross. And this is what we imitate. And it is hard teaching. It is challenging. How do we do it? We love our enemies by our words. Speak out words. Luke 6.28 Bless those who curse you. I found in, in my life to reply to insults with compliments. The old Ian would give them a crack around the jaw. And that was wrong. And that is not the Jesus lifestyle. And, and that war still rages on. If someone approaches or you feel threatened, you, you've just got to... It's a... We're all a work in progress and you have to park it and you have to let the Holy Spirit minister and say, okay, I've got to, I've got to find a different way because that's not the way of Christ. But I've found, and the writer of Proverbs says in 15 verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. We can give a gracious reply to rude and aggressive comments. I mean, nothing frustrates me more. Um, you know, when I was broken, I spoke to clients and no matter what mood I was in, I'd better be on form because they will cut you off like that. They'd just say, you're in the box. They used to call it penalty box. You're in the box three months. And that, that would cost the firm a lot of money and it would be on me. So no matter how I felt or what mood I was in or what the previous client had said, I, had to be on, I, had to, I presented a face to clients and always had to be good. And the problem with that is that when you go elsewhere and all of a sudden you're the client, you, wanna, you expect to be treated in the same way. So when I go into a shop... I'm a nightmare. If someone's rude or doesn't... I always say please or thank you, but if they don't, I think, well, I'm the client. I mean, why? how am I being treated uh, this way? Or if a, uh, someone who works in a shop is rude, I think, how can they be rude to me? Or the way... You know, I'm being nice. Why am I being spoken to rudely? But a gentle answer turns away wrath. And I find that if I start speaking and just ignoring uh, their comments, I mean, they hurt, but I just start blessing them and say, so you must be having a really tough day or something like that. And I'm not perfect in this, so I can go like that. And, and, and that's the battle. I remember a lady on one of our um, Alpha courses and um, 
She, uh, why she was there in the first place, I don't know. She just did nothing but criticise everything I said. Uh, but she'd moan about the biscuits. She'd moan about, you know, she had to go upstairs to use the toilet. It would be anything you could think of, it would be a moan. And it was, it was just, she was so against Christianity. And we kept trying to act really graciously to her. And in the end, I've got to start, I hope she doesn't come, the great evangelist that I am. And, um, but then one day she just came and we, uh, well, we did, we, she hadn't come for a couple of weeks and she'd been really abusive, I mean, proper nasty. And, um, and uh, one day we were setting up the chairs and uh, Andrew and I said, oh, we know, she's not going to come, she hasn't been for two weeks, so we'll just leave it. And then we both kind of looked at her and said, oh, naturally, we'll put that chair out and we'll pray in faith. And she turned up and, uh, you know, she became a Christian and she moved from this, she was in this area, she moved from this area and she's been involved in Alpha courses in her local church now. It's still, as far as I know, ongoing uh, as a Christian. But her aggressive words, there were other Christians, thankfully, from this congregation that were there, you might know this, remember the story, that spoke real grace and truth into her life. And they just responded so lovely. And I learned a lesson, these were my early days, and, um, and it was amazing to see that transformed life. So a gentle answer can turn away wrath. You can love our enemies by our deeds. Luke 6.27, do good to those who hate you. It begins with forgiveness. A, a positive action maybe. Proverbs 21, uh, 25.21, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give them water to drink. Again, I wonder if we did that on the world scene. Uh, maybe the world would be a much better place. Love our enemies by praying for them. Verse 44, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is not being legalistic. It's a lifestyle. It's a Jesus life. And it's the way of the master, isn't it? He says, I am the way. And when we choose to follow him, forgiveness has to come. He's not being legalistic, but he's teaching us a new attitude. And it's an attitude of the heart that the Holy Spirit gives us. The fact in life is you will come across difficult people. There are people out there, and you'll be one of them as well, just so you know, that occasionally will be difficult. Bishop Sandy Miller of Holy Trinity Brompton, uh, he wrote, a bit tongue-in-cheek, the devil's beatitudes. I don't like saying that word too much, but the devil's beatitudes. We've looked at beautiful attitudes of Jesus. These are the devils. Blessed are those Christians who wait to be asked and expect to be thanked. I can certainly use them. Blessed are the touchy. With a bit of luck, they'll stop going to church and tell everyone why. They're my missionaries. Blessed are those who are very religious and get on everyone's nerves. They're mine forever. Blessed are the troublemakers, they shall be called my children. Blessed are the gossipers, for they are my secret agents. Blessed are the complainers, I love listening to them. Blessed are you when you hear this and think it's all about other people. I've got you. <laughs> it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but we, have, we are called to have an attitude in Christ. So, you will meet difficult people. Accept it. It's about how you respond and how I respond that counts. Secondly, don't feel that you have to take revenge. Um, there are laws in this land and, and there are consequences. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean to say they don't go to jail for 10 years. But you personally don't have to take revenge. Uh, the BBC programme, I never used to watch it too much, but I found this illustration, Kilroy Silk. Anyone used to watch old Kilroy? I think he ran as a politician at one point. He kind of disappeared, didn't he? But Kilroy Silk. And uh, there's this whole program talking about revenge and how good revenge is and how you've got your rights. 
And if someone does say to you, you can go back and you can get them and you can do a bit more. And that was very Pharisaic. That was what Jesus was uh, arguing against in this passage. It's revenge, revenge, revenge. And they had all these testimonies. And people would get up and say, yeah, you know, I don't know, I'm making them up now. Someone kicked my rubbish over and I went out there and kicked two of theirs over or whatever it was. And there was all, all this applause. Every time someone did something, it felt so good to get the revenge. And everyone's clapping and going, yes, that's right. You every right to do it and there's applause and there's cheering and there's, this, is, this is good and then suddenly this woman spoke a West Indian woman and she had this radiant expression and she, she said well we, we he said to her should we forgive and she said absolutely and it, everyone just went quiet he said well you'd forgive she goes absolutely we need to forgive I forgave something and I managed to get on with my life and she told her story that she'd been living with a man and she'd been expecting a child with him. And then he went on holiday. Now, how he got the permission to go on holiday on his own, I'm not sure. Uh, but he did. And there he met another woman. And so he stayed out there for a bit and came back and said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm married. He married the other woman. I mean, I don't know how long he knew her for, but he'd married her. And she's really hurt. She's expecting his child. And she says, she said on Kilroy Silk, I went and got a hammer and I put it in a carrier bag and I wanted to go to him saying, this is how much you've hurt me. These are her words. And I would literally have smashed his head in. I wanted him dead for what he did. And Kilroy Silk said, well, what happened? He said, I was thinking up all these scenarios in my mind, keeping me up at night, all these things that I was going to do. And she said, but then I became a Christian. And I knew that I had to forgive him. And then in this program, she urged everybody else that had spoken to do the same. And this man got up, he said, the thing about you, it's all right you saying that, but this is not the way of the world. The world is not the way that you're preaching. The problem is there's not many people like you around. And it was right at the end of the programme, and Kilroy Silk stood up as the credits started coming down and said, well, maybe there should be. So we're the Christians. We're the forgivers. We're the ones who love the enemies. And thirdly, Finally, we act with an attitude of love. I've got this illustration that Bernard gave me, Daily Telegraph. <laughs> so we can trust the date, that's about it. <laughs> the Daily Tory graph, some people call it, but I don't mind. Um, but it's from Cliff Richard, an article that he wrote. My faith in God is even stronger after police ordeal, says Sir Cliff. So Cliff Richard said that spending nearly two years facing full sexual assault allegations has made his faith in God even stronger. In a new interview, the singer revealed that learning to forgive his accuser was the turning point that helped him release all that hate and anger. Asked if the ordeal made him question his faith, the Cliff 76 said it was in fact even stronger because of the support of friends who came and stayed. I found I was talking to God a lot more, praying, he told Steve Allen on LBC. It was on the third night of my turmoil that I woke up and it was 5.15am. I felt the need to forgive this person who I'm sure I've never met because I found myself being filled with hate. This battle that goes on within us that Paul the Apostle talks about. I wanted to get revenge and I thought, I don't think I'm going to survive this if that's the way I'm going to feel. So by forgiving him, it released me of all that hate and vengeance. He added, forgiving is not a simple thing to do. But when I look back, my God, that was the best simple thing I've ever done. The singer said he felt he'd become a stronger person but added, I know I will never be able to brush this away from me because there will always be some people that will say, well, there's no smoke without fire. 
Looking back on his life and 50-year-old music career, which saw him enter the charts at the age of just 18, he also described making films as a young actor as happy days. But despite his early success, he admitted he had no stage or musical training and suggested that newer singers in their early stages were much better than he was at the time. It's because they've had 60 years of this pop rock thing that happened that made, that's made little changes, he explained. They may call it garage, they may call it rap or whatever they call it, but it's all based on that basic rock and roll thing that happened. I don't know how I'm still here, to be honest with you, when I see an old clip and he looked at what had gone on in his life, but he knew that forgiveness was key. And he was wronged. And he probably deserved vengeance. And people ought to have paid. And as far as I know, no one really has. But he's forgiven them and he's moved forward. It is right to have police forces and judges. The responsibility and function of the state are different, from, different than for the individual Christian. That's why I love us by being a free church. Baptists are free churchmen and women. We're free from the state. We're not attached to the state. And they're not attached to us. But we are called to be a witness. So these passages are not... It's, 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 it's forbidding personal revenge. But it's not to encourage injustice. The state will deal with it, or should do. But we are called to pray for our enemies. He's contrasting, again, Jesus, secular culture, and the Christian counterculture, what it is to be distinct. He's asking us to adopt kingdom values, kingdom principles, in a way we deal with those who affront, attack, or ridicule us. And John Stott, to end, puts it like this. That principle is love. The selfless love of a person who, when injured, refuses to satisfy himself by taking revenge but studies instead the highest welfare of the other person and of society and determines his reactions accordingly. It will certainly never hit back, returning evil for evil. Instead, he seeks to return good for evil. And it's these two final antitheses bring us to the highest point of the Sermon on the Mount, for which it is both admired and most resented, namely the attitude of total love which Christ calls us to show towards one who is evil. Verse 39, and our enemies. Verse 44. Nowhere is the challenge of the sermon greater. Nowhere is the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious. Nowhere is our need of the power of the Holy Spirit, whose first fruit is love, more compelling. Love back, don't hit back. Love in our enemies, repay evil with good. Because as Kilroy Silk said, there ought to be more people like you around. Well, it's a third of the world. All we've got to do is live it out. And this is a life, as we look at our character and his character, it's characterised by the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this uh, on my own because I seek vengeance. That's, that rages within me. Um, you come after me, my family, people come after the church. I really want to retaliate. And it's a constant battle. But Jesus shows us the way that we should, we should go. And it's an inward righteousness of the heart where the Holy Spirit has written God's law. And our Christian calling isn't to imitate the world and what it believes, but to imitate God. And we have a privilege to serve in that way. And we go out a salt and light to serve in that way. But it is difficult. We're going to uh, sing a song in response in worship, King of Kings, uh, Majesty. And we talk about laying everything we've got before him now. And I don't know about you, I mean, I've got instances in my life where I've sought vengeance, and it might be something in your mind where you've been unfairly treated, uh, you may feel it's really uh, wrong and you want to retaliate. And there will be a way of doing that, but make sure it's the Jesus way. Uh, pray for those people. See the release that happens. Let God minister to you. As we sing uh, this song now, King of Kings, Majesty, God of Heaven living in me. 
gentle saviour, closest friend, strong deliverer. I mean, the God of heaven living in you. And that's what we need to be able to live these words out. So ask for that grace and spirit of God to come into your life afresh as we stand and sing this. And after that, we're going to sing in heavenly armour. And the reason I picked that song is because the battle, every battle you're in belongs to the Lord. You might be going through some really good stuff at the moment, and that's great. Uh, But there'll be challenges in life, and some of you will be really hurting. But remember, the battle belongs to the Lord. Keep praying for those who persecute you, say all sorts of evil about you, and God will bless you. He will bless you. you, The situation is still the same, but you're not taking vengeance. It is God to avenge. And by praying for them, if we're going to get really into it, you pray for them, you're heaping burning coals on their head. And that's a whole different sermon.